Welcome to the Irish Occupational Therapy Podcast, hosted by me, Jen Trecek, and me, Irene Rutledge. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the world of occupational therapy, sharing the latest research and techniques, and providing insights into the many ways that occupational therapy can help people of all ages live more fulfilling and meaningful lives. Whether you are a practicing occupational therapist, a student of occupational therapy, or simply curious about this fascinating field, this podcast is for you. We'll be interviewing experts in the field, sharing stories from the front lines of occupational therapy practice, and providing tips and advice for anyone looking to get the most out of their therapy. So sit back, relax, and join us on this exciting journey into the world of occupational therapy in Ireland. Morning, Jen. Hi, Aideen. How are you? Good. Have you got your coffee? <laughs> I've just ran downstairs and got my coffee all set. Good, good. So, Jen, we're meeting today to talk about work-life balance as an occupational therapist. Um, we're going to try and cover a number of topics, and we're also going to bring in our own lived experiences of trying to get that balance. It's not easy. Yeah, it's definitely not easy, and it's something I've definitely been paying more attention to as I move on in my career I think I think it's certainly kind of more in the news and and there's more awareness of the importance of work-life balance maybe than than when I started but also my energy levels are running down and I need to mind myself absolutely yeah and I think as you um as you say as you progress through your career as you move through different jobs you bring different practices um, and I know we're both kind of in a similar position in that we've left public service and we're progressing into private sector. So it's about trying to take responsibility ourselves for having that balance. Um, again, when we're working for ourselves, you have to have responsibility for that and take responsibility for that. Absolutely. And maybe it's something we can talk about later in terms of whose responsibility is it for work-life balance, because there is a narrative that it's a very individualized thing. But I think also employers and and workplaces and cultures and organizations have a huge responsibility and role to play. And, And sometimes, you know, we put the focus on the individual and that forgets the role of the organization. And I think we need a bit of both. Yeah, definitely. Um, will we talk about burnout first of all? Get straight into the nitty gritty. So, some of the signs of burnout um, stats around common signs would be disturbed sleep, feelings of overwhelm, self doubt, negativity, loss of motivation, limited satisfaction. Um, yeah. So, I'm all, sure all of, all of those at different stages. Yeah, definitely. Do you know? This is, uh, you know, one of the things that I really noticed when I kind of felt burned out and I, I didn't realize it until this moment. And this is an awful thing to to say, but I was in work and I was working in mental health um, with lots of young people with mental health challenges. And I got a call at work from my daughter's school and they said, oh, we're, we, we're just calling you because your daughter has had a panic attack. And my initial gut reaction was like, oh, for goodness sake, I don't have time for this. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my goodness, what has happened to me? You know, I'm in this job. I'm caring for others. I'm, you know, providing empathy continually all day. And then I am so 
wrecked by that, that I have no empathy left for my own daughter. And that was, for me, a really key turning point to kind of say, you need to do something different, Jen. You know, you need to reprioritize and, and, and look Jen, at what you're doing. Was that in that moment that you realized that or was it later? Because sometimes if you get <laughs> in that moment, you don't have that nope. perspective. No, absolutely. It was later. It was actually when I was after finishing up everything I needed to do and, and driving home and kind of just noticing that feeling of irritation that I had. I was like, why am I so irritated? I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm really that annoyed yeah. um, at having to, to leave her. And I suppose when I look back, one of the, the signs maybe at different times that I need to, to pay attention to is when I am feeling indispensable in work. That's maybe a sign for me that um, I am burning out or I, that I need to pay attention to what I'm doing, because I think we can have that kind of shouldering the burden of the world. And if I'm not there, then everything will fall apart. And actually, any of us should be able to walk away from a job and it still continues and it still goes on. And, you know, there'll always be need, but we don't always have to kind of meet that need or sometimes we need to step away from it to be able to continue to to support people. Absolutely. Sometimes you find that in the lead up to a holiday or even at the end of the week where you feel like I need to get this done, I need to get this done. Um, and really, again, thinking about you can this wait. Um, does it need to be? Is it that urgent? We're going to talk about um, prioritization as well. Helpful tools that we've used in the past, Jen. Yeah. Back to that time when you had that realization. Did you change much then? What Was that a wake up call, Jen? Or... It was a wake up call, but it took time, Aideen. I, like I didn't, you know, rush out the next day and change my job and change my practices or anything like that. I think, you know, everything starts, there's a seed that kind of grows. Um, and I think it started for me with that kind of recognition that things weren't sustainable. And then you kind of have to take a step back and go, well, what can I change? Because like we all, well, I had have had a mortgage, you know, um, commitments. Um, it's not as easy to kind of say, oh, just jump into a different job. And I would have said that actually when I was, um, I, I worked, supported people um, in employment. And at times I would have said, if it's not working for you, then, you know, look at changing your job, changing what you're doing, you know, make, make changes in your hours, those kinds of things. And in reality, that's not always that easy. But I suppose it's decided, going back to that prioritization, deciding what is most important and what changes can I begin to make? So even just, you know, leaving on time, um, take, taking lunch, those small things that, you know, sound small, but actually are, um, you know, they're, they're quite important and they're quite big. It's the healthy habits. And I like to call them, I don't know, I didn't come up with this term myself, but you're non-negotiables. Mm. So when the non-negotiables slip, those are my wake up call signs. Yeah. So for me, it's like sleep. When my sleep starts to get impacted, I know things are not going going well. Um, and that again, the the those things that are really important to you. I think sometimes whenever you're you're giving advice to maybe families or other professionals um within your role, but you're not following that advice yourself. Yeah. That's another wake-up call, isn't it? Definitely. And I think, you know, as managers, you know, I was a manager, I think you were a manager, you set the bar, you know, we role model what we want our staff to, um, yeah. to, to do. So if they see us 
working late or working our, ourselves into the ground or not taking breaks, then there's an assumption that that's what you have to do or that you should do. Um, and that's not, you know, again, that workplace culture, that's not healthy for anyone. Yeah. So kind of recognizing that role that we play um, and, and, you know, for families and, and for clients and people that we work with as well, you know, you have to practice what you preach. You have to, you know, demonstrate that it's doable and, and recognize the challenges as well that come with trying to, to gain more of a balance. It's important to think about what we've tried in the past that that has been helpful. So even just thinking about, again, it, it being in a public service job with a, a never ending wait list, um, a huge caseload. What are some of the, the strategies that we've both used? Um, there is a matrix. What I must say, Jen, is this matrix is only helpful whenever you're in a regulated state. It's yeah. whenever you are feeling overwhelmed in work and whenever um you know you feel like you're not getting to all the important things that's not the time to really use it I feel like you need to use this when you're in a and in a, in a, have a clear mind and have space and time to actually think about it so I've used it in the past and again I, I try to bring in these healthy habits whenever I'm coming back from leave or whenever mm-hmm. um, I'm starting afresh so it's a matrix we're going to include a link to it on, in our show notes urgent important matrix yeah. That looks at like at four different areas, do, schedule, delegate or eliminate. But you ask yourself the question, is this task urgent or important before you categorize it into one of those four areas? For example, if something is urgent but not important, that's a task that you can delegate. It's not important, um, but it is urgent. It needs to be done. It's not an arduous task. You can delegate it. You can delegate it elsewhere. If a task is urgent and important, that's something that we do have to prioritize. It has to be done. If a task is important, but not urgent, then that's something we can schedule for a later date. And then finally, if it's not important and not urgent, we can eliminate it. Don't do it. I love not doing things. <laughs> and do you set aside time, Aideen, to like each week to kind of look at your tasks and to prioritize them or, and to plan them? Or is it absolutely, home? Jen? I really do have to look at the week ahead. Otherwise, I wouldn't know what I'm doing on a Monday. So really on a Friday evening or sometimes it might be a Sunday evening. Um, but it really just helps my stress levels if I look at what's to be done for the week. And to be honest, if I'm really overwhelmed, that matrix isn't helpful. It's back to basics. Make your to-do list and try to just pick off the simple, urgent tasks, first of all. You do have to kind of keep yourself regulated in work, don't you, in order to have that clear head to decide what you need to do next. Yeah, and I think regulation is the key. I use that word. That's my favorite word. It's the word I use most (laughs) often with parents and with professionals. And, but it's, it's again, some of those realization moments where you think, am I actually regulated myself? Mm. Here I am giving this advice, but am I regulated? Yeah. Or, or in a team meeting or, you know, when things get a little bit um, tricky in work, you know, being able to take that step back, take, take a deep breath and put things in, in kind of perspective or in context. Cause I think when you're in um, a lot of healthcare situations and settings, you can't always see the wood from the trees. You know, you get so caught up in the the day to day. It can be hard to kind of see where things fit in the bigger picture. So kind of taking that step back. It's about working um, on rather than in. So again, what you're mm. talking about there, Jen, getting caught up on the day to day. 
you're not maybe having an overview of what your week looks like. So that's why taking, even though it seems like I have 15 minutes to take, sometimes taking that 15 minutes just to look at a plan for the week and what you really do want to focus in on. So you do you don't get caught up in the mundane. Yeah. You mentioned there um sometimes checking the emails on a Sunday night and seeing what you have planned ahead for the week. And you know, I think I've certainly done that. I'd say a lot of us have done that. Do you find does your work life bleed into your home life? Is it as easy as you know it seems to just say, oh well, I just stop at half five and that's it? Absolutely. And of course, COVID changed everything for all of us, mm. didn't it? With technology, we all have so much. We have our you know, work phone and um, devices. It's easier said than done. Um, and I think for me as well, things have changed quite a bit in that now I'm working from home more. Mm. So it's trying to, again, very simply trying to keep that space that's different at home and mm. um, that you go in and out of. But again, not everyone will have that luxury to have a separate sep separate workspace at home. Um, but it's again, thinking about the boundaries when you get caught up on the day to day in the mo you know, in the tasks, in the, the workload. That's when I do find taking that step out to, to plan the week where you say, OK, I'm not going to be working late that evening because I'm going to get that time that day to do this. Um, that does help. And scheduling in admin time, like I've fallen into the trap so many times where I'm, you know, seeing clients or I'm supervising or I'm doing particular pieces of face to face work. And I kind of say, well, that's an error. That's grand. And then I forget about all of the time outside of that, that I need to write it up or I need to do follow up or I need to do phone calls. And so like factoring in that, that sounds so simple, but it's something that I continuously forget to do or I'll put it in my diary. And it's so easy then to kind of put something over it because it's only admin and actually it then it starts to build up really quickly or Jen what I do is I scroll and I the hours gone my admin hours gone I'm distracted but you know something and I got this tip from you from social media um I can't remember the name of the the term again I'm not great with the titles of what these are called but putting my phone away and setting a timer on it for 45 minutes and having the coffee break for the last 15 minutes and making myself concentrate to get through a report or um, get two sets of notes done, three sets of notes done on a phone call. That has been key in the last few weeks. I've been Pomodoro. Yeah, <laughs> you're talking about Pomodoro, which is absolutely oh. setting um, a focus because sometimes, you know, you've got a big report to write and it's going to take hours and you think, I can't I can't sit down for hours. I'm, I'll just do these smaller tasks. But if you set it for 25 minutes, I can sit down for 25 minutes and then I'll do another 25 and, and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, when you get in the flow of it, mm. it's not it's, it's not um, overwhelming. Then it's you know, you're it's yeah. you're in a flow and it's much easier. That is really helpful for me. The other thing that I find really important is to kind of know when your energy levels are. So I am definitely a morning person. I've got way more focus and energy in the morning. And what I had been doing is leaving a lot of the more arduous kind of paperworky tasks to the end of the day when I was just like, oh, I can't be bothered to do this. I'll do it tomorrow. And then it would roll over and roll over. But now um, I tackle it and sometimes I'll, you know, work life balance, but I will sometimes do it in the morning when the kids are getting ready. I'll do some of the paperworky things that I need to, to get done because my focus is there. They're sorting themselves out and then I'll feel kind of more refreshed for starting the day. I've kind of cleared that little bit off my place and I guess that's one of the the nice things of being able to work from home or work for yourself is that you can fit things in as and when works for you 
Jen, I used to be like that, but I find my patterns changed. I find if I know I've got an hour left in the day that I can really go hard at it. And also I find I'm better off out doing my face-to-face work at the beginning of the week. I've got more energy for that. Mm-hmm. And then the paperwork that feels a bit more laborious, I can focus myself to try and get that done towards the end of the week because I'm motivated to get it done on a Thursday or Friday. So I'll have lots of emails going out on a Thursday or Friday because I have that kind of uh, yeah energy to do it. But you, you mentioned a point there about your energy, Jen, and that's something I wanted to talk about, actually. Um, so I use a tool with autistic teenagers called Energy Accounting. Um, so I had been using it in practice and found, actually, I want to use this myself, and I find it really helpful. Um, so Energy Accounting was created, co-written by um, a, an autistic psychologist called Maja Tudal and a psychologist, an Australian psychologist, called Tony Atwood and um, again we'll have a link to this in our show notes and some nice resources that you can go and try it for yourself and um, so it was designed really to try and address uh, autistic burnout and it really has that kind of um, bank accounting analogy where you have deposits and withdrawals so you, again you don't do this whenever you're stressed you take time to do this whenever you're calm and whenever you're regulated and um, you think about what what activities, experiences, tasks that you do in your daily life draw energy from you or deposit energy for you. And for all of us, it's totally individualized. Um, so things that most people find energy draining, like maybe chores or housework, for you, you would put a different rating to me. So you might put plus 15, I might put plus 20 or minus 15, minus 20, depending on what the task is. Exercise for some of us energizes it, us for others, it drains our energy. So it's looking at, again, your daily kind of patterns and your weekly patterns. And are you spending time on things that deposit energy into your account? And being really honest about that. And um, again, if I take time to do this, at the minute, I'm probably... Um, in the red so it's it's been mindful yeah. of that you might not be you might not be actively doing it on a weekly or monthly basis but just having completed that practice at some point you know you're, you're aware yeah. of it during, during busy times some of the teenagers I work with um, <laughs> brought this to me um, and but in a different format by a blogger who called it spoon theory I was in a diner and had a whole load of spoons and said each each thing you do take some spoons away and yeah. your spoons might kind of disappear quicker than mine and so we need to kind of pace and you know again as OTs this is what we do all the time with clients we kind of look at energy and and you know what, what different things take and how to pace and manage and it's just applying that to ourselves sometimes isn't it yeah. it's back to practice what we preach we're spending time trying to give other people these tools, but do we actually use them ourselves? Because the um, AOTI survey, um, we were involved in a, a survey last year, late last year, which asked occupational therapists in Ireland about um, burnout and uh, and about their experiences. And, and I suppose what you mentioned earlier, you know, the, the challenge of never ending wait lists and, and people needing a service. Mm-hmm. And it was quite shocking for me that it was something like was it nearly 40 percent or 37 percent or something like that of OTs in Ireland 
were experiencing burn burnout or feeling burnt out or feeling exhausted, which is really high. And I suppose was leading, you know, lots of OTs to consider leaving the profession, which is a really sad thing to, to think about. Do you think for occupational therapists, do we face different challenges to other professions or um, is, it, is it just endemic across all workplaces? I think there's a lot in the media at the minute about occupational therapy waiting lists. I know there's waiting lists for other professionals as well, but there seems to be a, quite a focus on occupational therapy waiting lists. We were looking at the stats, Jen, weren't we? And um, we found some of the latest stats were 35,250 people waiting for their first time assessment for occupational therapy. Um, so over 9,000 of those people have been waiting for over a year. So there's further breakdowns on that. 59% of these were children. So whenever you see stats like that, whenever you see, um, again, whenever you're, you're dealing with three-year waiting lists, I think it just feels so overwhelming. Um, it feels like you're scratching the surface and you're never making progress. I have been in that situation myself um, in the past. Um, and you feel like, will you ever get to these children that are, are, are being referred in? And yeah. yeah, it is a really pertinent issue for a lot of a lot of occupational therapists in Ireland. It's quite demoralizing. Yeah. Um, and I wonder how do you kind of step back from that or how do you kind of stop going down that rabbit hole of feeling I'll never I'll never get to the end. There's never an end point. Yeah. Well, for me, it was having like a a side um, power passion, having something on the side within my role that was part of my role, but just wasn't around trying to target waiting lists. Um, for me, it was around developing my um, knowledge of autism and APD around that and developing some groups for autistic children and young people. Um, and that's, I suppose, the main piece of advice that I would give is to not just focus in the job focus on the job again about what is the bigger picture what how can I develop myself to help the service rather than trying to just focus in on you know that treadmill of seeing people in and out yeah. in and out what so things that kind of refresh you it sounds like or you know yeah. that give you that sense of actually um, I might not be making progress in one area but I'm making progress in uh, progress in another area yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, I've always um, kind of been drawn to new projects and, and trying new things. And, and sometimes it, it might seem like I've got a lot of energy, but I find those um, projects, those things on the side, those areas of focus energize me to allow me to do maybe the more standard, the more thankless sometimes um, tasks that I need to do. So having that variety both in and outside of work as well you know the times when work has become my whole focus has been the times where I haven't had something outside to um, focus my energies on so yeah. at different times I've done so when I was working in the NHS in the UK we had an amazing um, pantomime society and a link to the hospital that I um, originally worked in and we'd put on a show every year and we'd bring people in and then we'd raise a lot of money and um, so that was that that was just you'd come out from a tough day and just have something that completely helped you to switch off and do something different. And I, I do um, a choir at the moment as well. And that's the same. I'll just come out and no matter how tough things are getting, I'll just completely forget about it and get into that flow state that is 
is mm. so you know valuable and just feel refreshed and, and ready so I think having things both in inside and out of work that that energize is really key yeah it's back to energy accounting that's mm. one of the things that give you energy yeah. I find as well in the past connection with colleagues yeah so making that time to have lunch together making that time to maybe go out for coffee together um for tea break and then I find that that connection that um that social connection and maybe talking about things that weren't work related really helped us to pull together then to brainstorm to come up with solutions to come up with new and those new solutions or strategies whether it was establishing groups so, so that we could maybe um provide more service to to more children you know those energize us as well those were new projects like you're talking about jen new ideas Definitely. new things to try I think that support network is so key and you know sometimes it takes time to find your people but mm -hmm. once you have one or two colleagues even who you connect with and who who get it that can just change the workplace yeah. um and and that support and it's something since I've um moved out into working for myself I've really strived to develop in terms of I'm so lucky um, there's a lot of OTs in private practice who, you know, I, I've got my group supervision, but I also have a group that I meet up with kind of on a social basis and, and we kind of check in around work and, you know, di different kind of connections that are just so helpful in sustaining um, sustaining me. Um, and I, I also moved into working in like a building where there's other health professionals in the building. So there's um, a psychotherapist, there's a psychiatrist, there's some other non-health professionals. So even though I'm working for myself, there's colleagues, there's people around, the, you know, the, the people say hi to in, in the, the lunchroom, as you say, which are really important. And back to connections, Jen, that's what we want from this podcast as well. We're hoping that, you know, listening in to other, other occupational therapists, other professionals with similar challenges and stressors, that we can help each other and learn from each other as well. Definitely, definitely. The other thing that we mentioned at start aging was the um, workplace responsibility as well as the individual responsibility so of course we all have a responsibility to look after ourselves and our personal health our physical mental health we need that as a resource to be able to do the job that we do and we need to be paying attention to it but I do feel that employers have um, a role to play in that have you come across anything that has been particularly helpful from an employer or um, a, a culture or an organization that you've worked in yeah, I find um, in Middletown, when I was um, a manager within Middletown, we, again, took time to have um, team days. Now, they weren't necessarily team building days, but there were connection days where we took time out to, um, we might have had like well-being days where we took time, everyone had um, maybe an hour to, to go and do something completely for themselves and to come back and share if they felt comfortable. Um, so it, it's back to time and making that time to prioritize it. The other thing was around um, leading by example and having healthy habits. So some of the things that you talked about at the beginning, Jen, around those boundaries and, you know, even even simple things like timings of emails that they don't go out in the evenings or the weekends and mm -hmm. um, having those boundaries and and leading that example and um, taking that time as well for support and supervision to check in and make sure that the boundaries were you know that you were you're, you're you're spending time to talk about those boundaries and are mm -hmm. they being upheld for the the the, the staff member mm -hmm. 
Definitely. I think as well, um, you know, KPIs are part of our, our business and, you know, we all have targets in work, but having reasonable targets is, is really key and having communication around those. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I've found in, in workplaces has been autonomy and actually having um, the autonomy to achieve your targets in a way that works for you, kind of recognizing that we all have slightly different styles and different ways of working. I think some of the workplaces, and I won't name them, but where I've felt kind of most stressed have been where it's like, well, this is what you need to achieve and this is the way to do it. And this is the way I want to see you doing it. And there was no scope for um, kind of, I suppose, working in different ways or, you know, that the whole sense of the organization needing to control things very tightly I think you know there's a lot of the the research will say around stress in work that the tighter the control and the less autonomy somebody has the higher the level of stress um, in in the work role and that you know that's autonomy in terms of environment and being able to make changes in the environment but also in terms of the way that tasks are um, undertaken yeah it's having respect for the diversity that we all yeah. have different learning styles we all have different working yeah. styles some people can be very um efficient and mm-hmm. some people work smarter um so it's again that respect for that and that's so individualized and i think that's where the individualized support and supervision comes in yeah. and it's looking at are your to-do lists realistic mm-hmm. um, you know is your is your workload for this week realistic support with that if people are showing those signs of burnout yeah yeah I, I mean somebody noticing how you're feeling in work can make a huge difference you know yeah. a supervisor saying oh I've I've noticed it and and not in a, a blaming way as well you know sometimes we can take that as being I'm not working hard enough um, but we're all human and you know our work rates will change at different times and you know different things are going on outside that might affect work and you know we can't separate necessarily what happens outside of work and what happens inside of work we're not robots and I think kind of that awareness of humanness is really important and you know because we're human we won't always do things the right way or we might make mistakes or we might fall into traps and in relation to to minding ourselves but we can recognize that and then pull back out yeah Jen would you share what your non-negotiable is for that work-life balance what has to happen for you to be your best self Wow, my non-negotiable. Um, I think actually, I really try um, weekends. If I like, I will always switch off for the weekend and spend time with the family and go out and do things. Um, now, very occasionally, I'll have um, a weekend workshop that I need to do or something like that. But then, if that happens, I will always take time back for it um and so like that sounds really simple but I suppose when I'm saying that it's being present with the family Uh, you know sometimes in the past I've been um out doing things with them but my head is not with them if that makes sense my head is thinking about the week ahead so now I really do try and say okay if I'm going to the football match I'm engaged I'm watching I'm cheering I'm not thinking about or I'm not kind of just checking a a, a sly email or whatever and so that yeah that would be one of the things that is really important for me that's lovely yeah I think family spending time with family and um that fills up all of our buckets really doesn't it Mm. Uh, mine's a little bit boring (laughs) (laughs) mine is um every morning I know this sounds really people are going to be rolling their eyes here every morning I have to do 15 to 20 minutes of exercise if I don't 
I am going to be like a briar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I would either go for a run or do a little workout. Now, Jen, when I say run, my elderly neighbor who lives behind me calls it that, you know, calls it my little jog. So it's not really a run, but it's just movement. <laughs> little trot around the field. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So for me, it is just that that uh, routine of exercise really helps my mood and helps me face um, in, into whatever I have to that day. And I have this little smug feeling all day then that I've done it and I can eat whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> I love that I'll just I'll go for a little trot around the field and then I'll have a whole tub of ice cream and nobody can say anything exactly exactly. but yeah a bit like you too um some of the boundaries I have are around you know um being able to pick up my kids one of the days um from school a week I like a Monday because they get their homework on a Monday and again that just sets me up for the week knowing you know I have that protected time and yeah yeah it's okay and I think your work kind of changes I know certainly since um being self-employed the, you know the the hours or or the way that it kind of bleeds into different areas has has shifted and I suppose um I take you know each quarter and you know each each month even and each each year as discrete kind of periods of time and kind of look at well what am I doing in this period of time and recognizing the achievements I think is really really important so it can be so easy in work to focus on all the things that we haven't done all the things I want to do all of my kind of plans all of my intentions and to kind of go I'm not doing anything or I'm not anywhere near where I want to be but actually taking time to kind of go but I actually am doing lots of really positive things and kind of acknowledging that to myself, which sounds really self-indulgent, yeah. but just kind of going, yeah, no, I'm doing okay. I'm doing good enough. And I think that's you, really important. Yeah. Would you do that at the end of the year, Jen? Is that a year's kind of routine? I actually try and I've set aside time once a quarter to look back and to look forward. So I've got my year plan. I do have a, um, like I've got a three-year plan. <laughs> I've got my yearly plan and then I break that down into quarters and I you know obviously look at what I'm not doing and where I should be tracking but then I also look at well what I what I am doing and sometimes you know things might have cropped up in the quarter that I hadn't planned for like I don't know a a workshop that somebody's asked me to do or you know I've started a new project with somebody that hadn't been in the three-year plan because it it didn't crop up this podcast being one of them yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and then I can kind of reflect and go, yeah, but I, I'm doing that and that's that's going really well or that's really positive. Or even the fact that I was open to something um, is, is something to celebrate. So, you know, rather than being hard and driving myself continuously, it's also acknowledging, you know, what I am doing. And that kind of compassion focus, I think, is, is, yeah. is coming in there. Self-compassion. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. I hope that they're, you know, I'm sure there's lots of OTs listening in different roles and in different jobs and there's different challenges coming up. Um, and I think it's really helpful for me to 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 talk about this and to acknowledge that it's not always easy. And I hope that, you know, if if somebody is listening and they're in that kind of um, situation where it feels a little bit heavy or a little bit hopeless, that there might be some kind of things that they can take from this conversation or that they'll maybe reach out and, and you know, contact us or, or you know, contact colleagues, talk to somebody about it and maybe just um, give themselves the opportunity to get a little bit more support around what's going on for them in work. That's all for today's episode on the Irish Occupational Therapy podcast. We hope you enjoyed our discussion and found it informative and engaging. 
If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at irishotpodcast at gmail.com or connect on Instagram or Facebook. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss an episode. If you found this episode helpful, please leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Um, Your feedback is important and helps us to improve the show, so please do leave it. Thank you for listening to the Irish Occupational Therapy Podcast, hosted by myself, Jen Trechek. And myself, Aileen Rutledge. We look forward to sharing more insights and knowledge with you in future episodes. Until then, take care.